G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Psalm 68. For the director of music of David, a psalm, a song. May God arise, may his enemies be scattered, may his foes flee before him. You, God, are awesome in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength. Sorry. <sighs> I'll just start that again. <laughs> may God arise, um, may his enemies be scattered, may his foes flee before him. May you blow them away like smoke as wax melts before the fire. May the wicked perish before God. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him, his name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in, his sun, in a sun-scorched land. When you, God, went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. You have abundant showers, O God. You refresh your weary inheritance. Your people settle in it, and from the bounty, your bounty, God, you provide for the, for the poor. The Lord announces the word, and women who proclaim it are a mighty throng. Kings and armies flee in haste. The women at home divide the plunder. Even while you sleep among the sheep pens, the wings of my dove are sheathed with silver, its feathers with shining gold. When the Almighty scatters the kings of the land, it was like snow fallen on Mount Zalmon. Mount Bashan, majestic mountain. Mount Bashan, rugged mountain. Why gaze in envy, you rugged mountain, at the mountain where the Lord chooses to reign, where the Lord himself will dwell forever? The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended on high, you took many captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Saviour, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Surely God will crush the heads of his enemies, the hairy crowns of those who go on in their sins. The Lord says, I will bring them from Bashan. I will bring them from the depths of the sea, that your feet may wade in the blood of your foes, while the tongues of your dogs have their share. Your possession, God, has come into view, the procession of my God and King into the sanctuary. 
In front are the singers, after them the musicians. With them are the young and women playing the timbrels. Praise God in the great congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. There is the little tribe of Benjamin leading them. There the great throng of Judah's princes and there the princes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Summon your power, God. Show us your strength. Our God, as you have done before, because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring gifts, rebuke the beasts among the reeds, and herd the bulls among the calves of the nations. Humbled may, they, may the beasts uh, bring bars of silver, scatter the nations who dwell in war. Envoys will come from Egypt, Cush will submit herself to God. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Sing praise to the Lord, to him who rides across the highest heavens, the ancient heavens, who thunders with mighty voice. Proclaim the power of God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the heavens. You, God, are awesome in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. And turning over uh, to Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the, apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love 
as each part does its work. Um, if you're uh, new to us this morning or just uh, visiting today or joining us on the live stream, we've been working through um, the wonderful New Testament letter of Ephesians, and that uh, is the passage I'd really recommend uh, that we keep before us um, uh, in a moment. I'll, I'll pray and we'll, we'll dig right into that. Um, but I'd like to begin by sharing, I guess, an assumption um, that I won't particularly argue for, but I'm, I'm going to assume uh, as we work through the text today... Um, I assume that we all wish church was great. Uh, is that a safe assumption? That we all want church to be great? Uh, I, let me dig a little deeper into that. I assume that we have a, a bit of a dream for the place that church has in our lives, uh, not just on Sunday. Um, I, I, much of what I say will be with reference to Sunday, but please understand church is bigger than just the, the service that happens on a Sunday morning. Um, the, the entirety of church, a dream for what church might be for us and mean for us and contribute to our lives. Um, is this beginning to take some shape in your minds, the dream that you have for church? It's my hunch that each person uh, who's here today um, well, you're here at least, right? So church has some, you chose to come along this morning. Well, I presume you chose to come along this morning. Maybe some of us dragged along, I don't know. Um, maybe the kids dragged us along, uh, who knows? Um, uh, we desire at least, I would suggest, three things from having church as part of our lives. Firstly, unity. I think we know that we don't want to be a lonely island um, in our spiritual lives. Uh, no, we desire church to be an experience, I think, of closeness uh, and affinity with one another and oneness, uh, not only oneness with God, although that's, absolute, that's fundamental, isn't it, but even with one another. I want to be part of a church family that smiles when they see me and that it brings joy to my heart to, to see you, uh, each of you, uh, unity together. Secondly, diversity is part of what we love and long for in church and appreciation of one another, specifically as different from me. Different creatures to us, all made by the one God, serving the one God, but each uniquely ourselves. And so, I think, we, part of our dream is we want permission to be ourselves. I don't mean that in terms of ourselves in our sinfulness, but certainly in our specialness without being ashamed that I'm not like him or I'm not as, as good at X, Y or Z as she is. Yes, we want church to, to be a place in our lives where I'm glad that I'm me and I'm glad that you're you and we're both here together. Diversity. Uh, thirdly, destiny, which is a bit of a weird word and I think it gets overused by kids' cartoons and, and teen fiction and so forth. Uh, you need to discover your destiny. You know, reach your full potential. Realise the, the person, the, who you are in all of that sort of nonsense. I don't quite mean it that way. It's not total nonsense, but anyway. Uh, I simply mean this. I think we want our present, presence at church to count for something. Uh, to make us better versions of ourselves. So in that sense, it is that realise your full potential kind of stuff. But to contribute to something more meaningful and larger and bigger than ourselves. Don't we want church to take us somewhere and to be going somewhere and to be part of that? So unity, diversity, destiny. But here's the rub. I'm not convinced that church quite lives up to all of that very much of the time. 
We long for unity, but don't some of us, at least some of the time, go through seasons of feeling um, tense around certain of our brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, or isolated, or anxious, or even angry because of him or her, or more often they or them. Uh, we want diversity, but in reality, people who are different from me, gosh, they're difficult to deal with, aren't they? The only people who are worse are people who are the same as me. So we get the feeling that either I don't belong or maybe you don't belong. Or diversity is fraught, isn't it? Uh, and destiny. Well, I think it's very easy to lose that sense that we're really helping anyone get any particular where, Sunday by Sunday, week after week, year upon year. Friends, this morning, if, uh, if you are someone who wishes that church was a, uh, yes, weekly, but more than that, even through the week, that church was a regular and rich experience of unity and diversity uh, and that really counted for something in terms of our destiny, then may I say, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. Because the encouragement that we're going to see in Ephesians 4 is that that is precisely what Jesus intends for his church and he is Lord and he is powerful and he can do it. But the question is that we're going to have to face today, are we willing, for our part, to hear from him how to so order our lives that it might actually become a reality. Welcome to Ephesians chapter 4, the disappointment and design and destiny of Christ's own church. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, uh, sometimes our, our hopes and our desires in life, they get out of proportion or they become misplaced and that's true of our hopes and desires for church, but it's also true of our hopes and desires in all areas of life, we confess. Father, often we want good things, but we want them too much, or for wonky reasons, or with wrong motives, or we chase dreams that seem so good and are, in a sense, but they are stained or they're spoiled, often by our own sinfulness, sometimes by nothing more than our own impatience or our lusts or jealousies or greeds. Father, we confess that perhaps our dreams for your church may fall foul of some of the same problems. And Father, sometimes we want good things for good reason, but we're unmoved then to actually seek them out and apply ourselves to them. We find that we're reluctant to pick ourselves up and make a difference. So Lord God, as we delve into your word this morning. May the gospel itself reshape our vision for your church and uh, remodel our willingness to pursue that, even the, the ways that we strive toward it, please. Would you do that work in us? We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. So, will the way that we walk in this world prove worthy of the wonderful news of the gospel. Uh, that, uh, that gospel that Paul has spent three chapters now, Ephesians 1 to 3, um, impressing upon his Ephesian readers. The book of um, uh, Ephesians is written by Paul to the church in Ephesus, or perhaps churches around Ephesus. Uh, Paul has spent three chapters impressing upon them the gospel. Will we, 
in how we walk in life, walk worthily of that wonderful good news. That's the question that we begin with of chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I, as in Paul, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Uh, Let me state the obvious, um, since uh, not all of us have been here over the past few weeks. um, We are talking about a worthy way of life, not in the sense that if you get it right, then you'll be worthy, uh, then you're in, that then God will be pleased with you and he'll forgive you, but only if you've done enough worthy things to outweigh the wicked things, uh, to counterbalance those, that then you'll be allowed entry to God's glorious people and purpose if you walk a worthy life. No, Uh, it's the other way round. It's by grace that we've been saved and not through our own works. Chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, do we remember from a few weeks ago? We were dead. That was how we were going in walking worthy of the Lord. But God made us alive. Uh, Beginning of chapter 2, right back to chapter 1. He chose us to be holy and blameless. It was His choice. Predestined us. Uh, to be part of his very own people, has come to live with us already by his Holy Spirit working amongst us. Christian, you are now, through faith in Jesus, a part of the purpose of God in the world to display his generosity and grace to the world around us. Not to parade your goodness or your worthiness, to get him to like you. So we have this great gospel, let's walk in a way that shows the worth of the gospel. That's how Paul's uh, beginning with chapter 4. That'll be his project for the next three chapters, the closing three chapters actually of Ephesians, chapters 4 to 6. He begins by applying it now to church and specifically he calls Christians to these three things, which should be my three points for today, to express your unity, to apply your individuality and to attain your destiny. I'm going to keep using that word, even though I'm a bit uncomfortable with it. Express your unity, apply your individuality, and attain your destiny. And may I just underscore the obvious, uh, we aren't here reviewing my vision for Good News Christian Church. Uh, This vision isn't tied to a minister or a particular congregation. Will the Church of Christ walk worthily of our common gospel? that's been held throughout the ages and around the world. It's quite grand. So firstly, will we do that by actively and deliberately choosing to express our unity together? Let's begin there from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Could we read together? As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And there's one body, uh, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. As you look back over that, um, just that one paragraph, let me ask you this, is, is it that we are already united? Uh, in verses 4 to 6 alone, Paul uses the term one seven times uh, and the word all four times in just those three verses. Is it that we are already one, united, all together, combined? 
Or is it that we must, verse 3, make every effort, strain at it? I want, to, I want you to give yourself to this. Like a couple who's trying to save their nearly busted marriage, like the, the footy players who have two minutes to go and they're two goals down. Which is it? Do you see from verse 1, work, walk, walk worthy of the calling that you have received. It's both, isn't it? Christian, the people around you at the present time, right here amongst you in the aisle across from, you know, right around us, the people around you in life with whom you share Christ, you are one. We are one. There's one Jesus. And haven't we seen this over the past few weeks? He has his one people. One people. He's given us his one spirit. We call on one Father. Did you notice in that paragraph? Father, Son, Spirit, all combined in the one saving work of God for the one people of God with the one confession of the gospel. It's all of us. So, will you apply yourself to this? On a Sunday morning or at Bible study or when you visit one another as you strive side by side in various ministries through the week and in all sorts of different ways, even when things don't go to plan exactly, how how on earth are you going to do that? Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And I do think it's worth pointing out, um, please hear this, that, that verse is not saying, come on, you timid people, just let the bossy people get their way. That's not what that humility is. And it's not saying, don't you dare rock the boat, D- don't you, or challenge or confront, don't you try to change anything, heaven forbid. No, no, the gospel's all about change. If we're going to walk worthy of the gospel, the gospel's all about change and progress and repentance and transformation. But do you see, from verse 2, is our conflict driven by pride that then pushes us apart or by a patience that promotes peace, the bonds of peace? I suspect, uh, those of us especially who have been around church for a while, we've seen both, haven't we? Which will it be for us? Which will it be for your part? Next time a conflict comes up or next time someone raises a criticism, perhaps a criticism of you, next time a mistake gets made or perhaps a careless or even genuinely heartless thing spills out of someone's mouth. These can be hurtful things. How do we handle them? Can you imagine... um, one of the things I like to do when I'm reading a, a book like Ephesians, which is so familiar to me, and I wonder if you kind of um, have the same experience. You read it and it feels like it's talking directly to you because you can quite readily imagine, oh, yeah, okay, I need to, um, I need to actually humbly deal with that conflict in my life or whatever. One of the things I like to do is actually remember back and go, hang on, first of all, this had a first context which was from Paul to a particular group of Christians um, or groups of Christians. Um, Yes, it's God's eternal, timeless word to us today. God speaks today in the Bible. But at the same time, it was a piece of communication from a man to a group of of Christians. I I find it helpful sometimes to go back to that context and think about, well, what would it mean for them? Can you imagine what make every effort might have meant for the original readers? Paul spoke to Christians whose history was, for the most part, do you remember from chapter 2, 
for the majority of them at least, a thoroughly godless, lawless, I mean, they didn't grow up in church is what I'm saying. They didn't have the right upbringing. A godless, lawless, spiritually speaking, lifeless walk of life. Can we imagine what make every effort might have meant for that diverse bunch of people? Relearning, unlearning, being transformed by the gospel. What will it mean for us, brothers and sisters? What are some of the petty things that we, we get hung up about, we divide over in our pride and arrogance at times? So firstly, express your unity, express your unity, but secondly, apply your individuality. I'm pressing on now from verse 7 and following. And just notice here, if you wouldn't mind, please, uh, that I've, I've chosen the word apply. There's lots that we can think about when it comes to individuality. I haven't chosen the word acknowledge or adore or just appreciate or celebrate or delight in. Um, uh, are we mere spectators of church? Is that the kind of uh, life that we want uh, for one another, that we um, merely appreciate or adore the diversity amongst God's people? Um, no, apply your individuality. So the all and the one of verse 6 now meets the each of verse 7. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Uh, what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. Um, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It's talking about that movement that we read about before in Philippians of Christ in glory in the heavens coming to earth and then ascending um, may I just pause um, there before I read on. Um, the psalm that was read to us before, Psalm 68, it contains some pretty hard-going imagery, doesn't it? Military imagery, armies and warriors and blood and processions and, and captives and all of the rest. Christian, do you see here in these verses what Paul is doing with that psalm? Do, do you see in Jesus... Our God, in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, our God returning in victory, having conquered his foes, the, the head of death itself, the head of his enemies is crushed, to use the language of the, the psalm. The, the crown of their hairy head of sin is destroyed in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, that the reign of evil is ended. Do you see the conquest of Jesus, the success, successful return of the, the conquering king? Paul is teaching us, do you see, to read that hard-going, gritty, symbolic world of an older era and apply it to Jesus and his victory and apply it to ourselves as he is our risen and conquering king and apply it to our own hopes. So this risen, ascended, returned King Jesus, carrying the spoils of war against sin and death and the devil. He, verse 11 now, so Christ himself gave, verse 11, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
I wonder if we find either of these two things in those verses surprising to us. Number one, that the work of ministry here is not, that is not the job of the pastor or the evangelist or the teacher. And number two, that Christ expects his body to be built up in part by you. Do we find either of those two things surprising? We each apply our individuality with the guidance and coordination and support and encouragement of evangelists and and pastors to build Christ's body. Are you applying your individuality, the gift that you are, to Christ's church? Verse 11, so Christ gave those people with the gospel speaking, spreading, teaching roles and, and proficiency, we hope, the apostles and prophets and the rest, to equip his people for works of service. used to be translated for works of ministry. Same word. So that the body of Christ may be built up. So allow me to be blunt. Ministering to your brothers and sisters in the Lord is not and never has been an optional aspect of the Christian life. Have we wrestled with that? This is the design of Christ for his church. Could it be that part of our dissatisfaction with church, some of us, at least some of the time, is precisely that we've forgotten that this is what church is for? We've neglected to walk worthily of the gospel in this particular respect. And walking worthily of the gospel isn't the thing that makes us worthy and so makes God like us. No, 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 no. let's not get the gospel the wrong way around. John Stott puts it like this. He says, the New Testament concept of the pastor is not of a person who jealously guards all ministry in his own hands and successfully squashes all of those lay initiatives, but of one who helps and encourages all God's people to discover, develop and exercise their gifts. His teaching and training are directed to this end to enable the people of God to be a servant people, ministering actively but humbly according to their gifts in a world of alienation and pain. Thus, instead of monopolising all ministry himself, he actually multiplies ministries. And then he goes on, and I think this may be an important um, thing to mention for some of us at least. Stott goes on, he says... Our unity is not, so our unity is not a lifeless or colourless uniformity. We are not to imagine that every Christian is an exact replica of every other as if we had all been mass-produced in some celestial factory. On the contrary, the unity of the church, far from being boringly monotonous, is exciting in its diversity. This is not just because of our different cultures, temperaments and personalities, but because of the different gifts which Christ distributes for the enrichment of our common life. Christian, I don't expect you to be me and you don't have to be just like her. You're you. And that's great in the design of Christ. Uh, Some of you are amazing at hospitality in ways that if I think about it too long, I start to feel a bit ashamed about myself. Uh, Some of you are very, very patient listeners. 
you're much better at it than me, actually. I, just, I open my mouth and then away I go. And very patient listening is great. Gosh, it's a gift, isn't it? Being listened to by a patient listener. We're each different and that's good. Will we together? Not me alone, not just the elders in the session alone, uh, but we together will we build the body of Christ toward the fullness of Christ by the word of Christ. Will you do that? Apply your individuality to that. And thirdly and lastly, as we do those things together in the power of God and with his enabling, we will attain our destiny. And it should be our destiny. I came up with the point titles, but it should be our, shouldn't it? Together. Let's read from verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Um, most of you know I'm a pretty keen swimmer and uh, I just want to... I, I find the image in verse 14 a, a bit distressing, actually, of an infant in an ocean. Um, an unattended infant in a bathtub is a distressing enough image, let alone an ocean. But in the ocean, uh, with waves, um, some of you are keen swimmers, um, and uh, like me, you know, with an adult in the ocean, let's not pursue that distressing metaphor too much, an adult in the ocean, when the wind is blowing, and it's blowing in a direction that you don't want it to be blowing, and the, the current is against you sometimes and every time you come up for breath uh, just the way the wind and the current is going uh, you get slapped in the face with water again and there's no breath that time and so you've got to put your head back down and come up again now in the context i reckon paul probably has in mind doesn't he the cunning and crafty lies that would cause the ephesian church to divide once again along those jew gentile lines that we've seen have been so divisive and in fact, they sound so coordinated, don't they? The cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. I suspect that is what, what he has in mind, uh, because if, if that happens in the Ephesian church, then in the process, they'll lose both the church and the gospel. That's my hunch as to what's at stake in their context. Friends, what are the cunning and crafty lies that would push our youngsters around today? Do you know how to help them face those? What are the crafty, niggling questions that cause doubts to arise in the hearts of our elderly folk? Or those of us in middle age? Or perhaps those of us who are single? Or as we help some of our loved ones enter aged care? Is it our dream for church that we would together learn to minister the gospel to one another. And that includes prayer for one another, to proclaim Christ to one another, each in our own way, with our own abilities and gifts, to see us not infants and not even struggling swimmers, but steady and strong and saved and supported. Is that part of your dream?
for church. A, verse 16, whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pray. O oh God, our one true God, as we see your vision for your church that you created, that you brought to being through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and his victory, Father, we start to see something that not only we need in our lives, but which really the whole world needs. A community with a robust hope that we hold onto firmly and that helps one another to hold it firm through life, even as the, the seas grow heavy. Father, would you help us please to reapply ourselves to building one another up in love? Uh, we will need humility and patience and persistence and direction. We will need the work of your Holy Spirit in all of those things. But all of those things are ours in Christ. Our Lord who has risen to lavish your love on a once lost people. So help us, O oh God, to walk worthily of the gospel we've received. In Jesus' name, amen.